0: You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our first Misery Monday podcast of the year, my co-host Rob Rang. The Seahawks dropping a 37-34 heartbreaker to the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday Night Football. Lots to unpack from a thriller in the desert as well as the upcoming trade deadline on today's show. This football season will be different and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Everyone's excited to watch Russ cook this year. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks are officially no longer undefeated, and it was a costly one in Arizona. Seattle dropping to five and one, still atop the NFC West, but allowing Arizona to get within half a game. Rams tonight are going to have an opportunity to tie the Seahawks atop atop the division with their Monday night game coming up here quickly. So not able to take advantage of the opportunity to create separation in division, but really it was a costly win when you look at the injuries. I don't know what it is, Rob. Every time recently that these two teams get together, it seems like the Seahawks just cannot keep their running backs healthy. Chris Carson got injured last year, suffered a hip injury in that week 16 matchup, and he suffers a foot sprain. In the game last night, he exits late in the first half, does not return to action. Carlos Hyde's got a tight hamstring. Travis Homer left with a knee contusion, and you want to talk about an injury that quietly ended up being a big deal not having Travis Homer on the field in overtime as the Seahawks were trying to go win this football game ended up being a really big deal. But now they've got three banged up running backs and you've got the San Francisco 49ers coming to town, coming off back-to-back wins on Sunday. And in the COVID-19 era, trying to find reinforcements in the backfield is going to be very difficult.
1: It really is. Uh, You know, we've talked so much about what a, a, you know, just kind of all of the depth that the Seattle has the running back position and basically in just one game, Corbin, that all gets wiped out. And we've talked so much about what a, uh, what a huge role that that Chris Carson plays for this team. He just, it just feels like he is, uh, you know, one of the leaders in terms of just physicality and grit. We know what a great player that Russell Wilson is, but, but Chris Carson, just the way that he finishes his runs with power and determination, it just feels like at times that he's able to kind of will the Seahawks to success when Russell Wilson isn't able to to do the very same thing and so to eliminate that element from Seattle's offense is going to make the Seahawks one dimensional we talked about it in our preview of the Arizona Cardinals game. We thought that the Seahawks might be able to beat the Cardinals because that was going to be their game plan. The Seahawks are going to try to make the Cardinals one dimensional because of the bevy of injuries that Seattle had the running back position. That was one of the big reasons why the Cardinals were able to pull off the home upset.
0: And the Seahawks were able to run the ball fairly well in this game. We'll talk about this more in the third quarter, but Hyde had a 24 yard touchdown in the second quarter in a 14-point swing, really one of the big sequences in this football game. Carson had 34 yards and just five rushes before he exited. They were having a really hard time. The Cardinals were tackling him. And of course, Travis Homer made some really nice blocks in pass protection. And once DJ Dallas checked in for him in overtime, the rookie missed a couple of his blitz pickup assignments. And it it proved to be costly errors during that final period, and Seattle ultimately drops their first game of the season. The running backs weren't the only ones that went down either. There was another significant injury in the secondary, Shaquille Griffin exiting early in the second half with a concussion. Apparently, Pete Carroll said he's also dealing with a minor hamstring issue on top of it, so his status is up in the air for this weekend against the 49ers, and it felt like when he exited the game that momentum changed a little bit the Seahawks were able to get that touchdown midway through the fourth quarter to extend the lead back to 10 but it really felt like Kyler Murray was taking advantage of Griffin not being out there first play that he was out targeted Trey Flowers his replacement immediately and just missed what would have been a long touchdown strike To DeAndre Hopkins, the Seahawks gave up some of those explosive plays again. So this is certainly a big deal when you consider how much Trey Flowers has struggled when he's been in the lineup this year. If you don't have Shaquille Griffin against the 49ers, that's a big blow to this defense.
1: It really is. Uh, Again, as we just talked about on the offensive side of the ball, while Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, they deserve all the credit that they're getting. But at the same time, this still is a team that likes to run the ball, likes to be two-dimensional and and really keep defenses off balance. Well, on the flip side, uh, defensively, Shaquille Griffin, Shaquille Griffin, excuse me, is clearly Seattle's best cornerback. His ability to change directions, his straight line speed, make him a legitimate lockdown corner. Um, and once you lose him, then you have two longer legged, longer arm kind of guys that that fit in with the the M O that the Seahawks have liked in the past uh, as as far as their outside cornerbacks. But neither one of them has the elite straight line speed and the the uh, the agility to be able to really stay in another receiver's hip pocket um and so it very much limits uh what what seattle can do from a from the defensive side of the ball so um you know when you when you lose a, a player like griffin obviously the secondary ob- was still missing adams at that jamal adams then, then you basically take one of what has been one of your best strengths of your team and and Immediately make it, uh, you know, average group or, or below average. And so that's exactly what happened to the Seahawks. They were trying to to win a game against a very talented opponent, which, as you mentioned, Corbin Kyler Murray was getting hot down the stretch. Um, and, and so you, you're trying to beat this opponent with, with two of the positions on your team that you basically have felt very good about. You felt very good about the depth at running back. You felt very good about the depth in the secondary. And both of them were wiped out in a single game with a very hungry 49ers team on tap as well. This could go from being basically a hole in the boat to going down really quickly um, because the, the Seahawks have some injury concerns and they don't have a lot of depth at those positions. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be key for them to see if they can get at least one of these players back for Sunday, and if not, and 49ers aren't going to have any sympathy for them with all the injuries that they have been dealing with, but nonetheless, Seattle's certainly coming out of the bye, not the ideal situation, having a number of key players go down. Coming up next in the second quarter, the trade deadline isn't until November 3rd, but in this particular season, teams are going to be proactive making deals early, if there are going to be trades, I would anticipate they're going to be early, so we are going to be... Taking a diversion from our normal Monday mailbag, and we asked you, the listeners, for your trade proposals heading towards the trade deadline to try to bolster the Seahawks at the midway point. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to help you get ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Whether you're like me in the press box or you're at home watching with friends and family, we're all looking forward to watching Russell Wilson cook this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang, here for our Monday show. Typically, we do a mailbag on our second segment on our Monday show, but it's a much different year in 2020. And even though the trade deadline isn't until November 3rd, most activity, there's a lot of speculation, is going to happen earlier because of COVID-19 protocols. And this kind of goes with what we were talking about last quarter, Rob. There is now a six-day window. It used to be four days. And then when the Titans outbreak happened, the NFL made some changes. It's now a six-day testing window to get players ready to even visit a facility. And this creates some really tough conditions for adding players from outside organizations and particularly for free agents. This is a two- or three-week process. Pete Carroll was asked about that today, and he said that's exactly what it is. So we decided to let you, the listener, come up with a number of trade proposals for the Seahawks, and as I'm sure as you and I would not be surprised Rob most of these involve pass rushers and so you and I are going to be looking through these proposals discussing whether or not they are realistic and that's going to make this a lot of fun our first one coming from Mike Scent he says it's going to be difficult to make a trade with limited draft capital but I would be willing to give up a young player like Cody Barton if we could get Ryan Kerrigan or Carlos Dunlap. I think that that's something that the Seahawks may consider if they absolutely want to make a move they might have to throw a young player in because they don't have many draft picks available.
1: They they have very few draft picks available. Do the you know the big trade of course for for Jamal Adams, uh, you know the, the trade for Quandre Diggs before as well. Um, you know so that they don't have very many the the, the draft capital that the John Schneider is famous for being willing to pedal to to be able to get some immediate impact and then because of all of the. Uh, the, the difficulties, as you just mentioned, Corbin, uh, with the, the, the COVID nineteen pandemic and, and the limitations that teams have to be able to evaluate players, that's one of the reasons why you have. Uh, I am a little bit skeptical that, that Seattle is going to be able to make that trade again because of the lack of draft ammunition, as well as the ability to be able to bring in players. That said, clearly. There is a need for this team to be able to boost on the defensive side of the ball, and so if we just look at some of these different options, then, then I think that there are some good ones. Uh, I think that if you if you start off with the you know the conversation that you know in the, in the article that, that you wrote here just recently, focusing in on players like a Carlos Dunlap or a Ryan Kerrigan, then that would make some sense. Um, that and I still think that uh, you know a possibility of trading a young player like a Cody Barton w- would make some sense as well. I just don't know that I that a team like a Washington um or like a Cincinnati is going to be intrigued enough by a linebacker like Cody Barton who Seattle itself um has basically been looking to get out of the starting lineup and um you know drafted a, a, you know use their first round pick on the linebacker Jordan Brooks a year ago after allowing Cody Barton a couple of opportunities to start Uh, to start a year ago as a rookie. So that's my concern here is I don't know that you're going to be able to get one of the defensive linemen for a player, even one as young and that does have starting potential like Cody Barton.
0: Of those two teams that you mentioned, Washington and Cincinnati, I think the Bengals would probably be the one that would make the most sense to make a deal with, for, you know, Cody Barton because I look at their linebacking group and I think certainly he would have a better chance to get on the field there than when the Seahawks are at full strength. And I do find it fascinating that they now have Michael Kendricks in on the practice squad. If he's healthy, then maybe that could facilitate a move like this to deal Barton, a player the Seahawks like. But as you said, It doesn't necessarily look like there's going to be a starting role for him anytime soon unless there's injuries in front of him. Donnie Henson tweeted at us. This is another interesting one involving Dunlop. Says, send a fourth round pick and B.J. Finney to the Bengals for Dunlop and any day three pick that they can get their hands on. This one I find harder to believe just because of the Finney aspect. I just don't see any team unless they lost their starting center and they were just desperate with the contract that he signed that two-year, $8 million deal. I just don't see teams, especially with the cap situation for next year, wanting to actively take on that contract unless they absolutely need a starting center.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Because otherwise, I do think that there is some possibility in this case, just because the Cincinnati Bengals, of course, playing the same division as the Pittsburgh Steelers, where B.J. Finney was a starter. They're going to have a little bit more familiarity with Finney um, than than some other clubs might. Cincinnati is kind of historically, including this year, has had some issues with the the health of its offensive line. They've got a brand new quarterback, obviously, and number one overall selection in Joe Burrow. There's a possibility that that's a team that, that might be looking for some interior offensive line. That is still a position that, knock on wood, from a Seahawks perspective, that the team does continue to have pretty good depth. I think that you've seen the fact that, you know, Damian Lewis and Mike Yapati have gone down with injuries, and you've seen Jamarco Jones, you've seen Jordan Simmons. Uh, the interior of Seattle's offensive line has been one of the, the, the surprising strengths of this club. So I do think that there's a possibility that you might be able to trade a relatively young, possibly starting caliber offensive lineman, whether it's Finney specifically or somebody else. Um, that you might be able to to, uh, justify that type of a move Um, and I think that Cincinnati is a possibility at the same time I I think that that Carlos Dunlap is a player that we probably should be focusing in on here just because the Bengals clearly are a young up and coming team and Dunlap being the the veteran that he is might make some sense but again I I just think it's going to be very difficult to pull off a trade And, and Seattle and Cincinnati haven't been the active trade partners that some of these other clubs like the Philadelphia, for example, might be a team that I think that Seattle might be talking to right now as well.
0: A couple other trades that we have down here, tons of them that we received on Twitter. There were several that were duplicates or very similar. Seahawk Realm tweets Melvin Ingram for BJ Finney in a 2021 fourth and a 2022 fifth. Ingram may be just a little bit better player than what Carlos Dunlap is at this point. He is coming off of an injury, so that one's a fascinating proposal. JD Thomas tweets. Fourth round pick and Jacob Hollister for Carlos Dunlop. I find it hard to believe the Bengals. I know they could use some tight end help, but I find it hard to believe that that would be enough to sway them to make that deal. I mean, maybe a fourth round pick by itself would be enough. And Hollister's just a throw in there to open up some cap space. That's a possibility, but I just can't, I can't see that being a deal that would be as enticing to them as if you would add an interior offensive lineman. So maybe Finney does make some sense there. And this is the one that I kind of want to talk about here real quick because we get we get all kinds of crazy proposals on here. But this is one that I think is absolutely not going to happen, but it's just fun to talk about. Zach tweets a second rounder and a fifth rounder to the Texans for J.J. Watt. And, <laughs> yeah, I don't see any way that this happens, Rob, but it is a fun one to talk about just because – you do get this sense when you when you look at what JJ Watt is going through this is a team that's one in five in Houston he's not getting any younger he's had some injury issues I know that he loves the city of Houston but you've got to wonder if the opportunity was there for him to go to a team like the Seahawks that's clearly one of the front runners in the NFC and their biggest need is his position you've got to wonder if that would at least be something that John Schneider would call the Texans about and say, look, you guys are going to be in rebuilding. You need draft picks. Maybe they would consider doing it. Now, that particular deal, though, that would mean you have three draft picks next year and no picks till the fourth round.
1: Exactly. And that's why I have a hard time believing it, is that, as you just mentioned, Corbin, I mean, or at least referred to, again, the Seahawks have already traded next year's first round pick to the Jets for Jamal Adams. They, They also traded their third round pick Next year for Jamal Adams Uh, So if they were going to trade next year's Second round pick, as you just mentioned Then you would be starting off with the fourth Round. Seattle has two fourth round picks so anyways, they, they, I just think it's a very unlikely, quarterback that they would be willing to, to basically trade out of the first three rounds of the 2020 NFL Draft, even though, obviously, when we're talking about a player like J.J. Watt, I think he would be the type of difference maker that you're looking for. And I think that that's something that the Seahawks will absolutely be exploring. If there is any type of true difference makers along the defensive line, even aging ones, I think that the fact that the Seahawks uh, brought, in, Damon Harrison, is a testament to the fact that this team is looking to expand on the types of players that they have, have looked into in the past. They've obviously always gone with, if they were going to make a move, they were going to be going with young, uh, you know, ascending players, or players who basically are in the, are in the peak of their career. Um, but at the same time this year, you know, kind of just given the, the all-in type of mentality that Seattle has shown to this point, making the big trade for Jamal Adams, I think those would be the types of players that they might go For but again, just because the fact that they lack such a draft capital, I would be very surprised if Seattle is able to pull off any type of big move for a difference making defensive lineman.
0: To me, the even bigger issue is the lack of salary cap room because, according to Over the Cap, the Seahawks have less than four million in cap space right now. So, how are you going to absorb a contract like JJ Watts? Which, yes, you're only going to have to pay a cap hit that's half of this season, but his cap hit was $15.5 million for 2020, and so that's still beyond your financial means. Now, you could restructure some contracts. You could include a player in there like a Jacob Hollister to try to get rid of some of your cap hit from his contract, but still, you would have to get very creative to be able to fit somebody in like that. Even a player like Ryan Kerrigan, you're going to have to get creative a little bit to be able to squeeze him in financially. Now, if the Seahawks get a deal that they just can't refuse and they can upgrade that pass rush... The salary cap can always be maneuvered around. There are things that can be done. It's just, (laughs) you're going to have to make all of those decisions in such quick order. And when you add in all of the protocols and COVID-19 and stuff, it might deter teams from making very many deals. There's been a lot of rumors floating out there, but I'm really curious to see how teams handle this with the trade deadline coming up on November 3rd I would not be surprised if the NFL actually extends a few days just because of the protocols and allows teams to try to facilitate deals a few days after that we will see what happens real quick to close out the period I know that you don't believe there's going to be a trade for the Seahawks here and based on what we know with the draft capital and finances and stuff that's probably what'll be the case but just for fun real quick What to you would be the ideal trade right now if the Seahawks were going to upgrade their roster and and make it a realistic one? Who is a player that you would bring in and what would you try to trade to acquire that player?
1: Well, I, I referenced the all the move or all the trades that uh, or all the draft picks, I I, I should say that, that Seattle gave up in the Jamal Adams deal, but they also got back a twenty twenty two. So not this upcoming year, but the next year, a, an extra fourth round pick, and that's been one of the things that John Schneider has been willing to do in the past. is if he has double picks in a round, then he has usually been a little bit more willing to kind of play with that extra selection. So I think the twenty twenty two fourth round pick is, is one that you p- might possibly be able to move I think that if you were also able to uh, add in one of those interior offensive linemen that a team kind of falls in love with believes could be a starter whether that be say a Jamarco Jones or Ethan Posick uh, I, I think that that's a possibility and, and the team that I'm specifically looking for might be a club like the Philadelphia Eagles Seattle has done so much uh, tra- so many trades with them John Schneider, Howie Roseman go way back and so that might be a club that you know is still as crazy as it sounds is still very much in the thick of the NFC East race just because of how bad the NFC East is and the the Eagles while they are having all kinds of issues virtually everywhere their def- defensive line is still one of the best. The player that I'm most intrigued by would be Josh Sweat and Seahawks fans that they remember Josh Sweat at Florida State probably remember um, you know why the, the Seahawks were interested in him because he was a player coming off of injuries. But does have a great deal of upset, but but Vinnie Curry, Derek Barnett, uh, you're not going to be able to get Brandon Graham, so forget about it. But even Genard Avery, a former linebacker who's made that switch to defensive end for the Eagles, the Eagles are just absolutely loaded with pass rushers, given where their team currently is. The same argument we just made for Houston or Cincinnati. I think that might be a club that the Seahawks would be looking to go for. And again, Josh Sweat being the athlete that I think has the upside to warrant the roll of the dice.
0: I think you got to go get Ryan Kerrigan. I think at, at this point, when you see what he's done with limited action, and I, I know Washington, as funny as it is, you just mentioned Philadelphia being in the race, Washington is still in the race in the NFC Least right now. Everybody is in the, in the hunt there. Even the Giants, with one win, are still in the hunt because it's the worst division I've ever seen. So maybe that would deter Washington from making any move here and Ron Rivera's talk about the leadership that Kerrigan provides, but he's in the last year of his deal. He's He hasn't played more than 30% of the snaps in four weeks. He's been getting a sack pretty much every game. He's been productive with those limited chances, but you've got tons of young players at that defensive end spot. You used first-rounders on Chase Young. You used a first-rounder on Montez Sweat a couple years ago. So, why not move him so that you can get some draft capital for the future? I think giving up a fourth rounder for Kerrigan would make a lot of sense. I know Seattle doesn't have much draft capital, but after watching last night, they absolutely need to add some veteran talent off the defensive end position. When we come back in the third quarter, we're going to look at some offensive takeaways for the Seahawks from their first loss of the season, a 37 34 defeat in Arizona. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As an avid weightlifter and distance runner, I'm always looking for an edge when it comes to nutrition, seeking delicious, healthy protein bars without the crazy additives. Since being diagnosed with celiac disease, my options have been pretty limited, until now. Enter in the Built Bar, a low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, gluten-free protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar now comes in 18 mouth-watering flavors, including 6 new delicious flavors such as Caramel Brownie and Cookies and Cream. My all-time favorite is Peanut Butter Brownie, which is 20 grams of protein, just 3 grams of sugar, and 3 grams of net carbs. Since I had my first Built Bar, I never go without one when I hit the weight room or go for a jog. All Built Bars are 100% chocolate, nut and gluten-free, soft and easy to chew, and don't have the nasty aftertaste of competing protein bars. Sound too good to be true? Go to Biltbart.com and build your own custom box with your choice of flavors using the code LOCKEDON for $10 off. You will also receive a free cooler with your first purchase while supplies last. So what are you waiting for? Change your workout game by going to Biltbart.com and entering code LOCKEDON for $10 off. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my sidekick, Rob Ray. The Seahawks no longer in the ranks of the undefeated it looked like. Late in regulation last night, Rob, that the Seahawks were going to find a way to get out of the desert with a victory, but they could not maintain a 10-point lead with three minutes to go. The Cardinals get 10 quick points before regulation ends. Go to overtime. Seattle had opportunities in overtime as well, but could not capitalize, particularly on the offensive side of the football Cardinals get another opportunity after a missed field goal early in overtime. Zane Gonzalez nails it, and the Seahawks are sent packing with a loss. Let's talk about the offense, because if you look at the stats, almost 600 total yards. A really impressive game from that standpoint. And Russell Wilson finished with 388 passing yards and three touchdowns. He tied Peyton Manning for the most touchdowns through six games in NFL history, but This was one of Russell Wilson's worst games as a pro. Nothing is going to approach the Packers game in 2016 when he threw five interceptions. But he ended up throwing three picks last night. And it wasn't just that he threw interceptions, Rob. It's that as Pete Carroll said after the game, none of those throws needed to be made. We just don't see Russell Wilson make ill-advised throws like that. And he did it not once, not twice, but three times in the same game.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and that was the way that they lost the game is they were unable to, uh, you know, to get the points when they needed to. They were unable to, to keep the ball when they needed to. Um, you know, so, so a, a troubling performance from, from Russell Wilson. As you talked about statistically, fantasy football wise, he was terrific. 388 passing yards, three touchdowns, as you mentioned, was absolutely spectacular, leading the Seahawks in rushing yards, 84 rushing yards on just six attempts. Uh, you know just a fantastic performance but but the three interceptions and and they were some ugly interceptions i mean just some some opportunities that, that for points that were right there that that basically Seattle gave away i mean I, specifically the interception uh, you know to Patrick Peterson in the corner of the end zone that looked like just a throwaway. And so, why not throw the ball completely away when, when you had an opportunity there to get a field goal? Um, you know, and so it was uh, kind of a mystifying performance from Russell Wilson. We talked about how uh, you know, the, the, you know, that this has been a, a house of horrors for the Seahawks, uh, you know, over the over the years due to injuries. Um, but it, it felt like there was uh, you know, house of horrors for for the Seahawks in, in this case, in, in other ways as well. Just some troubling decisions uh, from Russell Wilson who has been so brilliant so far this year
0: really big numbers passing yardage wise touchdown wise so it's not like he played horrible football but those three throws the last one in particular in overtime he just completely did not notice Isaiah Simmons at all and I'm still trying to figure out what happened there. The explanation that Russell Wilson gave after the game and then watching the tape, watching the replay, they don't really match up because it looked like there was some kind of a miscommunication there. Tyler Lockett, maybe it was an option route, but he ended up taking an inside release there and Wilson's throw was thrown outside. So I'm not sure who he was trying to get the football to. Again, his explanation didn't really match up with what I saw watching the play over and over again but it just seemed like I don't know if he's just trying to force the issue a little bit too much because he's carrying this football team with how much the, def- the defense is struggling I, I don't know what it is but that second interception like you said he just should have thrown that one away he's trying to do a little bit too much in this particular game and it ended up backfiring on him really everybody's gonna talk about the defense and we'll talk the, about the defensive struggles some more on tomorrow's show but I think that this game, not just on Wilson, this game falls on the offense in general. When you score 27 points in the first half, their running game was working really well the first two quarters. Russell Wilson was throwing the ball well, other than his first pick, which we will get to that here in a moment. But they put up 27 points, and then you have six possessions after halftime, and you get seven total points out of it. And it felt like they were moving the football well enough. They should have had way more points than that. To me, this is a loss. If they would have lost some of the earlier games this year, I would have been like, this was on the defense. This one, to me, it feels like it's on the offense because they picked the worst time to have a drought in the second half.
1: Exactly. I mean, we, we've heard so many times Pete Carroll talk about the idea that can you win the game in the first quarter or the fourth quarter and all that. And, and Seattle's offense basically stubbed its toe all throughout the second half of this game. I mean, as Arizona's offense was getting more dynamic, more explosive, Seattle's was, was unfortunately still get racking up yards, but just not turning that into points. And you, you mentioned the first interception and just it was, a, you know, a kind of a un- untypical Russell Wilson kind of a throw it was just lazy uh you know he just didn't see Buddha Baker kind of creeping up behind Chris Carson Chris Carson to not give uh you know all the blame on on Wilson Chris Carson was fading into the, into the end zone as well he certainly didn't reach for the ball uh and, and, and you know position his body to go back towards the ball as any receiver should they, they both basically thought this was going to be an easy one. This is going to be a layup. And, uh, you know, and Buda Baker, of course, made the big play. And DK Metcalf, an incredible effort that he showed um, in tackling Baker uh, where he did. And and obviously, um, you know, give Seattle's defense in credit. They were able to keep Arizona from scoring. But that, to me, that that play right there, I thought was indicative of how Seattle played really the the entire second half, almost on cruise control, that they thought the Arizona Cardinals were just going to – just because it was the mighty Seahawks in town and that obviously was not the case and you know I think that we can extend this conversation that much more if we are going to be you know focusing on offense and Russell Wilson and the MVP talk how do you vote for Russell Wilson's MVP when in the same game the other quarterback obviously was or, or in, in some ways was even more effective and, and so I think that that's a it's a fun conversation to have because this was a game where you you felt so sure where the Seahawks trajectory was going heading into this game but by the end of it due to the, the, the you know, kind of inexcusable plays uh, that Seattle wasn't able to make on the offensive or defensive side of the ball and as well as the injuries we are talking about in the first quarter Corbin who knows where this season is going now
0: A couple things I want to hit on away from Russell Wilson. I know that there was a lot of talk about the blitzing presence of Arizona late in this game, and they did get home a few times in overtime to get after Russell Wilson, but... He was not sacked once the first four quarters. Again, I think this offensive line played a really darn good football game. And then in overtime, I'm not going to blame the offensive line for the issues that they had. There was one blitz off the edge where they brought Byron Murphy that thwarted a drive. That was just a really good play call that ended up working. The Seahawks had everybody else on their line was blocking somebody. And unfortunately, Murphy was able to shoot in there No. There was no running back back there to be able to block him, and he was able to get to Wilson and bring him down. But the other play that Wilson got smashed on was an A-gap blitz. Tanner Vallejo, former Boise State player, uh, blitzed the A-gap, and DJ Dallas was in the game at that point. Travis Homer was dealing with a knee bruise, so he was out, and DJ Dallas was good in pass protection in college. He has had some trouble when he's had opportunities to play for the Seahawks so far, he completely missed that assignment. Didn't even attempt to block the linebacker coming through most immediate in the A-gap. If I'm the running back coach, Chad Morton, I'm going bonkers on the sideline if my running back completely misses that assignment. And that was the kind of stuff that was going on in overtime. that ended up hurting the Seahawks offensively as they missed a couple of those blitz pickups and That created some problems, but again, the offensive line I thought played really well. And Dwayne Brown, what can we say about Dwayne Brown? I'm still, I've watched the play about 10 times, watching him pulling outside on that Carlos Hyde touchdown, a toss sweep to the left, and who's out in front of Carlos Hyde going down the sideline making key blocks? Dwayne Brown, he's 35 years old and he's still a phenomenal athlete. He can sit out any practice that he wants if he's going to play like that. He's playing at an all-pro level right now. They showed last night in the telecast him one-on-one in pass protection just dominating the entire night. He played fantastic. I thought the line played fantastic.
1: They, they really did and I'm happy that you mentioned that I, I think that it's easy to kind of pick on Seattle's offensive line after uh, the, the way that the game ended with, with Russell Wilson having a lot of pressure but you know frankly that, that's on Wilson at times as well as Seattle's skill position players to be able to pick up on on the fact that Arizona is, is showing as much blitz as they were I thought Seattle's offensive line really did have a have a terrific game um, you know and, and you mentioned Dwayne Brown I mean there, there were some other plays there was Damian Lewis, Jamarco Jones, Jordan and Simmons, who I saw yards downfield, making some very key blocks. So this was a game, again, Corbin, I just thought that Seattle has nobody really to blame but themselves for this loss, because Arizona w- was giving out yardage like Halloween candy. I mean, it, it, Seattle was moving up and down the field, and, and their kicking game uh, was also performing well. You know, I mean, give Jason Myers some credit. He was making those kicks.
0: So that's why it so was that's that, why that much- second pick is so damning. Because exactly. they were at the 30 yard line. They were in Jason Myers' field goal range.
1: Yep. And then the, and the pick six that, you know, for Buda Baker, you know, or could have been a pick six if not for DK Metcalf's incredible effort, you know, again, I mean, you're right there on, on you know, to, to score. I mean, at minimum, you should have got a field goal there. So, you know, again, Seattle just basically giving away points in this game, I, I think is the, the big offensive takeaway, obviously. We can't stop uh, talking about Seattle's offense and not acknowledge just the absolute brilliance that was Tyler Lockett, the effort that, that was DK Metcalf. Corbin, you hit it on the head when you said, that that uh, we would see a little bit more from from the tight end position, um, whether it be Olsen or, or Disley or Hollister, all of them made key plays for the Seahawks. Um, but again, I think that the, the ultimate takeaway from the offensive side of, of the football is that this is a team that prides itself on being two dimensional and with the injuries they have at their running back position, the, the, the lack of uh, reliability and pass protection from its running backs. Again, this is a team that that is among the best in all of the NFL, but if they don't get these things figured out, there are again some hungry divisional opponents coming up that that could turn this season around very, very quickly.
0: And it's kind of scary when you consider the numbers that they put up, and they still scored 34 points, and it was not enough. They, you know, it it tells you where the defense is at, we're going to talk about that tomorrow night, and also tells you when you really dig in the box score, just, just how great they were in the first half and how in the second half the the wheels just kind of came off and then of course that David Moore holding penalty that took back the game-winning touchdown for DK Metcalf the refs absolutely had to throw a flag there it was a blatant hold so it was mistakes like that it was missed pass protection assignments it was holding penalties false start penalties Brandon Shell had a couple of those so that was one thing on the offensive line that was not necessarily good but it was mistakes like that Russell Wilson's kind of careless throws to be honest and you made three of them they all got intercepted Arizona is an opportunistic team and they've really improved in the secondary you give them those opportunities they are going to make plays in the football and that's what happened you know you take away just a couple of those plays the Seahawks never go to overtime they win this game it really was a game they had no excuse losing and yet Weird Seahawks fashion, they found a way to lose. We've seen them win so many games they had no business winning, so I guess sometimes you just run out of four-leaf clovers, and that's kind of what happened for the Seahawks team last night. But uh, they'll have a great opportunity to try to bounce back. The offense, there's a lot of good to take away, but plenty they need to clean up before they face the 49ers this weekend. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at RobRang. Make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is by going to our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up on our Tuesday show, it's Throwback Tuesday. We're going to look back at the last couple matchups between the Seahawks and 49ers, and then we're going to share some defensive takeaways from last night's game in Glendale. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks!